Welcome to the podcast Love at First Science with me, your host and fellow inquisitive inquirer, lover of all things nerdy, Celeste. As a physiotherapist and neuroscience student, I really do love science. But I'm also really interested in the world of business, creativity, psychology. So this podcast is going to interview all sorts of different people from many different backgrounds to really gain an understanding of the science behind their passion. Our final guest in the core series is Mike Golden. He's the Director of Education for Z Health Performance. And as you all know, I'm a very big fan of Z Health. I actually wrote to their company saying, have you guys got anyone who can talk about the topic of the core? And um, they suggested I talk to Mike. And I was honestly so blown away by not just his level of knowledge, but his attention to detail. In fact, if you can, head to my website, celestepereira.com, click on the podcast series and head to the YouTube link. It's unlisted, so you'd need to go through my website to get to it. But the reason I encourage you to do that is Mike shares slides on that video showing the various spinal pathways that deal with reflexive core activation, pathways that get disrupted when you consciously engage your core. You know, this is an unconscious system that we should allow the unconscious to control. Um, and he also gives us some tips on how we can strengthen up those pathways. In addition, he goes to great lengths to share current cutting edge scientific literature around the topic of the core and why we should be allowing the system to do its thing without us always telling people to engage it on a conscious level. So who else is Mike? He's obviously the director of Z Health Performance Education, as I mentioned, but he's also someone who he received his undergraduate degree, um, I think in 2005, but interestingly actually went on to pursue a career in martial arts and using his brain-based training, he he gave fast track results to his clients, especially helping them overcome pain. Over the past two decades, he's relentlessly pursued professional development through using Z Health and also helped many, many people that have suffered in their bodies. Guys, enjoy Mike. He is deeply passionate. I tried to kind of chip in a couple of times and eventually I realized, you know what? Mike just needs to do his thing. And if I ever get him back in the future, I'm just going to sit back and put my feet up and listen to the endless wealth of this incredible individual. Guys, you're in for a treat. Enjoy Mike Golden. Um, I know that you have some very exciting things planned for us because you have some visual aids. So those of you who are listening, please head to my website, celestepereira.com. Click on the YouTube link that's there because it's only for, it's unlisted. And what you're going to see is Mike is going to show you guys some cool images that talk about the spinal tracts and also getting into sort of the, the deeper neurological aspects of core engagement. Yeah. So I want to make sure um, that your listeners had our ideas or breadcrumbs. So if they want to look more into this stuff, that they can, that they know what terms to look for. Sometimes the hardest thing is just knowing what to Google, right? You, you've heard expressions that maybe have been simplified. And so when you go to search for them, you can't find what you're looking for because they are not the correct technical terms, anatomical terms. And so you just can't find the information. Uh, and particularly when it is maybe information, if you have been, uh, if you have come up in a training system or a therapy system, and you have a lot of time invested in it and money invested in it, and then all of a sudden, maybe a different paradigm comes along. If it's too much effort to look into that other paradigm, you will not, 
and you will just follow the path of least resistance and go with what you've already known, what you've practiced with your body, what you've practiced with your mind. Um, and so I just want to make it as easy as possible for people to think, okay, maybe there's more out there. Maybe there are other strategies that we should look into, and here's how you look into it. Uh, so one thing that you mentioned is the spinal cord, ascending pathways. They are carrying sensory information from your body up the spinal cord to your brain. Descending pathways coming from the brain to the body, to the muscles. And the important things that you see here, so uh, the pyramidal tracts there, the lateral corticospinal tract and the anterior corticospinal tract, those are for voluntary movement. When you on, on purpose at a cognitive level say, hey, I wanna do this. And that makes your limbs move primarily. The anterior cortical spinal is for trunk movements and some stabilization. The, the much more unconscious, the reflexive level pathways, however, you have this rubrospinal tract, this reticulospinal tract, or two reticulospinal tracts, and then you have two vestibulospinal tracts. For right now, we're going to kind of ignore this rubrospinal tract. Uh, it's a little bit closer to the voluntary movement side of things, but it's setting flexor tone in your body. Uh, the two reticulospinal tracts, those are coming out of your brainstem. They're coming out of your pons and you're coming out of your medulla. So kind of the bottom two thirds of your uh, brainstem. When you go to do any kind of movement, there are brain areas, particularly what's called the supplementary motor area and the pre-motor area, and they will create a plan for what kind of postural needs you are going to have for the movement you are about to do. They will send this plan down to, these, to the brainstem, to the pons and the medulla, so then these reticulospinal tracts can send signals down to your musculature to alter them to prepare you for the movement you are about to do. These are the anticipatory postural adjustments, and they are going through these reticulospinal tracts. One of those tracts is for flex to adjust flexor tone. One of them is to adjust extensor tone. It's always about a, a balance between the two. This is going primarily to your trunk, but then it is also affecting all of the musculature in your limbs. This is then also a part of that compensatory postural adjustments because every time you move your eyes, every time a visual stimulus appears, every time an auditory stimulus appears in the environment, every time there is proprioceptive information coming from your neck, you're turning your head, you're tilting your head, that is immediately sending signals down these reticulospinal tracts to adjust your muscle tone. You can look up stuff like uh, the tecto-reticulospinal pathway. That's how it goes from your eyes and your, and your uh, auditory stuff down to here. So if I move my eyes left, that changes all of my tone through my trunk and core automatically, thousands of a second. So I don't care what kind of activation you think you're supposed to do in there. As soon as you move your eyes, that's going to change. So are your eyes sending the right information to there? And then you have this quick break to share an offer. I have a three-hour core workshop that's available on my website. It's an opportunity to take a deep dive into the scientific literature, to share some of the anecdotal evidence that has come through from experienced physios working within the pelvic health arena. But it also gives you some insights into how to get core engagement to happen reflexively. 
it's helped many people and I'll just share a couple of testimonials. One person kindly wrote to me saying, I just finished the core workshop and I am blown away by the information you provided. Another said, give me goosebumps actually, thank you for your beautifully crafted core workshop. It was one of the best workshops I've ever taken and believe me, I have taken a lot. Now you can learn more about the core too. Head to celestepereira.com and in the workshops tab, click on core values. Then use the code RELAX, all lowercase, that's RELAX, to get 35% off. Vestibulospinal tract, you actually have two of them. One only goes to the cervical cord for your head and neck and some upper limb stuff. And then you have a separate one that goes to every level of your spinal cord to affect all of your musculature. And so based on your orientation to gravity, based on your head movements, it will immediately alter all of your muscle tone to try to stabilize you, uh, to allow for breathing. You actually have vestibulo, uh, vestibulo respiratory reflexes. You have vestibulo sympathetic reflexes that adjust your blood pressure for every time you change uh, your center of pressure, like shift your weight or tilt your head. Uh, all of those things are changing automatically every second of every day. Is it getting the information that it needs? Is it understanding the information? Is it creating the correct response to that information? And so if you want to look up more of this stuff, if you're like, nah, Mike's full of crap. Cool. Look up the spinal cord, look up the reticulospinal pathways, tectoreticulospinal pathways, look up the supplementary motor area, look up the premotor area, look up the cerebellar vermis, look up anticipatory postural adjustments, look up compensatory postural adjustments, and then look up the vestibulospinal reflexes and the vestibulospinal pathways, and you will find so much just pure anatomy tests research studies and the other information that you need. Some of this stuff then too, because uh, I know we're interested in, okay, what are maybe some potential problems with conscious core engagement? And some of the things that, uh, again, the considerations, the complexity of trying to decide what is my core supposed to do right now is like hard to fathom. But some of the things that we need to consider is that the core what is it supposed to be doing right now? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the movement goal? And is this core engagement meant to adjust the body to maintain my balance? Is it that I am trying to resist movement right now? Is it trying that I'm trying to decelerate movement or is it that I'm trying to accelerate movement? You know, if you're talking about muscular contraction, why are you contracting the muscle to accomplish what? Because I could be contracting it to slow me down. I could be contracting it to speed me up. I could be contracting it to resist movement, to, uh, again, maintain balance. Why are you contracting it? Tell your brain what the goal is, and it will uh, adjust that stuff accordingly. And then understand that all of these things that I just mentioned are happening simultaneously in different planes of motion, in different segments of you. I may be trying to speed up one part of me while slow down another part of me. I may be trying to resist movement in the sagittal plane, but encourage it in the uh, horizontal plane uh, kind of things. I then need to consider, okay, am I altering the pressure for visceral function, right? Because you, you will change the pressure in there to defecate to, for bladder stuff. You know, that's, that's a consideration as well. Uh, what kind of postural shape are you trying to maintain? What kind of postural shape are you trying to accomplish? Like, what are you trying to change it to? Because that will alter what your core needs to do or not do. Uh, where are the key sensory targets in the environment? Uh, 
So my one of my highest priority is being able to collect information about what's going on around me. And so you have orienting reflexes where, again, when visual stimuli appear, when I have to move my eyes, when I need to orient my ears towards places, I will adjust my tone so that I can see what I'm supposed to see, hear what I'm supposed to hear, and react to what I'm supposed to react to. Uh, the speed at which you're going to move. What are the external loads? What's your familiarity with the skill? Because if you are less familiar with the skill, you will probably have more tension and maybe appropriately so in order to protect you should you make errors. Uh, will I contact something? And that could be me striking uh, uh, something. It could be me hitting the ground while I'm running. Uh, will something contact me? What's the likelihood that something's going to be uh, perturbing me? What's the surface quality? What are the respiratory demands? These are all things that my brain is supposed to be excellent at calculating well below any kind of conscious level of uh, activity, right? It's deciding all of this based, this is, this is the context. There's probably more to this, but this is just some of the things. Uh, and then again, it has to have this correct timing where all of this stuff gets calculated just faster than pure, like your uh, acoustic, uh, uh, startle, like when you kind of jump, when you hear something really loud, that's one of your fastest reflexes in your whole body. And these uh, anticipatory postural adjustments are created just slower than that. Uh, and then they need to happen 100 milliseconds to maybe 50 milliseconds after, uh, so 100 milliseconds before, or about 50 milliseconds after, uh, that's kind of the range there, that, that's when this stuff has to be uh, uh, started. And so the, how quickly you need to decide this stuff, how exactly you need to initiate it prior to the actual voluntary movement, whether it's moving your arm or your trunk or whatever you're trying to do, like you are not going to, you are too slow to create that and you're not going to time it well. And there's way too many things for you to consider. Um, and when we start looking at- question. Yeah. There's a really quick interjection there. That okay. list is exhaustive in ways that most people never consider and what I often get back is people go, oh, you want me to, to relax? Well, how do I protect my spine? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, hmm. Do you know, like it's it, like the list you've given is exhaustive, of course, to, to prove that actually there's so much more complexity that we're not considering. But what people are coming, but what's at the forefront of everyone's mind is they are worried they're not protecting their spine if they don't consciously grip and engage their core at, I don't know, 30% through every movement. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, I had a, a, a direct research quote actually about the 30% and how that might actually be quite unhealthy for your spine. Um, but so what I what you want to do is expose them to these things and show them that they are safe. And so this becomes, OK, you know, at the very simplest, just stand upright and relax. You OK? All right, cool. Let's move on from there. You know, and I'm go like, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Oh, Mike, you're the best, that. honestly. Uh, <laughs> that, that's all you I'm needed to say. Also, uh, some kind of assess and reassess. I want to make sure that what we are doing is improving your performance. And I have a lot of uh, kind of things that I will do <clears throat> on my side to see, okay, are we improving brain function? But for the client themselves, I want them to have some kind of tool to know, hey, this is actually improving me. And things that are typically easy for clients to use for themselves 
are things like active range of motion, flexibility, right? And I'll have them before we do a drill. Okay, let's check your shoulder flexion, your shoulder internal, external rotation. Uh, let me have you maybe check a full body rotation thing. I'll have you uh, put your arms together, twist left, twist right. What's the range of motion there? Let's try a forward bend. You know, and some of this will depend on, okay, if you have back pain, maybe we choose some over others or whatever. Um, maybe I do some strength testing. Maybe it is uh, more actual an activity that they care about. So we're actually testing vertical leap. We're testing sprint times, you know, whatever it may be. And if we do something and it's activating the wrong thing, if it is increasing threat to the point where their brain feels like they need to protect themselves, then it will usually decrease those markers. It will make them slower. It will make them less flexible. It will make them weaker because your brain is trying to limit your activity so you keep yourself safe. And so if we do uh, a drill, let's say I'm just having you do some lateral bending. And after we do it, you come back, we reassess your range of motion has now gotten worse. You, maybe you've gotten weaker. Then that tells me that activity right now was too threatening for your brain. And so, yeah, it may not have felt safe. So how can we get you to feel safe there? And now it becomes maybe we decrease the range of motion. Maybe I have you hold on to something so you can control the load a little bit more. Or maybe, yes, I actually do attach a band to you. So you create more tension than perhaps you need right now. So you feel safer. And your brain goes, okay, I can go here. And you know what? I didn't die. I didn't break my back. And then we gradually reduce the load. So you can reduce the tension little by little. And at every step, we reassess and go, yep, yeah, see, your brain still feels safe. You actually got more flexible. You got stronger. Your brain's going, yeah, I benefited from that. I feel safer about the world. I feel safer about my own movement. So I'll let you do cooler stuff. I'll let you be stronger. I'll let you be faster because I'm not as scared anymore. Yeah. That the you're conscious gonna... engagement is not achieving what everyone thinks it's achieving, basically. This protection that we think we're after isn't, it's not... It's not the only way of getting it is not through conscious engagements. Basically, we have to remember that if you were really afraid, you probably would have a reduced strength output. Exactly. You know, if safety was really an issue, then we're not going to be going after conscious engagement as a tool to achieve better safety. Yeah. And I'm looking for uh, unconscious markers of that um, increased threat because they exactly. may have gone there and come back and been like, yeah, I feel fine. Okay. But then we check their flexibility, we check their strength. And if that has gotten worse, there's some part of their brain below their level of, of awareness that went, nope, I didn't feel safe. <laughs> like, I don't Amazing. care what you're thinking up here, uh, back of your brain's like, no, that wasn't cool. No. Uh, and so I want to make sure that we're uh, illuminating that response as well. Uh, but then it goes the other way sometimes. Some people, some, they go there, they come back and their cognitive brain was like, oh, I don't know about that. But then their precognitive brain's like, dude, chill out. That was fine. <laughs> and they got more flexible and they got that's, strong. That's where the, the test retest that Z Health does is so powerful because it's so quick to see actually what yeah. the brain wants and what the brain doesn't and the nervous system and the way it responds. But Mike, please get back to your little lecture with the slides because that was pretty, that was pretty awesome. Okay. And I realize that time is probably not on our side. So, um, uh, and just one more thing I want to add on that too, is that oh, yeah. uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm introducing also then the unpredictable perturbations is when you're in these spinal positions, when you're doing stuff, if I manually perturb you, if I pull on that band and I show your brain, hey, look, even when you were not expecting this to happen, you were fine. That can go a long way towards helping you feel safe. 
to where it's like, hey, even if I have no clue what's about to happen to me, I can handle it. I can handle anything that comes my way. I can react. I can stiffen up if I need to. I will be fine. Relax. You can handle what you're expecting and what you may not be expecting as well. Uh, so now, just some of the research stuff that I wanted to mention to you. So kind of reasons about like why the conscious engagement may not be the best strategy. And one of it was, again, the, the pure complexity of, of what, how much you need to coordinate. And so this is a study, uh, differential activity of regions of transversus abdominis during trunk rotation. And basically what it is saying is that when you are turning your trunk, there is asymmetrical contraction of the transverse abdominis or transversus abdominis. Uh, and so when you are doing like cognitive level bilateral activation of it, it's not necessarily appropriate for any time you wanna like turn in any direction, which is something you probably wanna do here and there in your life. Uh, and then this one, feed forward responses of transversus uh, abdominis are directionally specific and act asymmetrically implications for core stability theories. Uh, and what this is talking about uh, is actually when they did arm movements and they said, this is the first study to show that the feed forward activity, again, those predictive responses of the transverse abdominus is specific to the direction of arm movement and not bilaterally symmetrical. So what they found is when you flexed your shoulder versus extended your shoulder versus horizontally abducted your shoulder, you had completely different responses in timing and in activation uh, of the, the transverse abdominus. Uh, the asymmetry of transverse abdominus activity during arm raising suggests that the interpretation of the role of transverse abdominus as a bilateral stabilizer during anticipatory postural adjustments needs to be revised. Uh, this one here, talking about the corset hypothesis, where I think like, okay, I need to uh, three-dimensionally just get everything to squeeze uh, inside to create the best response. Uh, and it is corset hypothesis rebutted. Transversus abdominis does not co-contract in unison prior to rapid arm movements. Uh, and so it says, in dispute of the corset hypothesis, recent evidence suggests that the right and left transverse abdominis do not activate symmetrically during unilateral arm movements, but operate asymmetrically in a similar way to the more superficial muscle of the trunk and lower limbs. Uh, and this is a little bit longer here, but it's talking <laughs> about like, the things where we're asymmetric uh, prior to um, uh, arm movement. And it says the main findings of this study was that the reciprocal index of transverse abdominis was dependent on the magnitude and direction of perturbation. So when they moved the arm, what direction was it moving? How fast was it moving? And it says this refutes the corset hypothesis as a normal mechanism for transverse abdominis prior to arm movement. It is not recommended that healthy people are trained to bilaterally co-contract the transverse abdominis prior to movement as to do so would reinforce an unnatural strategy of movement. The corset hypothesis as a mechanical theory of stabilizing the lumbar spine through bilateral transverse abdominis activity is not supported by the findings of this study. The only subject who demonstrated any sign of using a co-contraction strategy later reported that he was a martial arts advocate who had some experience of core stability training. So they found that the only person who did it wrong was the person who was taught to on purpose do it wrong. That's, oh. <laughs> uh, and they're saying Amazing. that it's unnatural to try to bilaterally co-contract and do it in this way. Um, and then this is talking about how our movements are three-dimensional and they're spiral and asymmetric. And so this bilateral co-contraction is not appropriate for most of the things we need to do. And then it's talking about uh, in ballistic movements where stability is of small concern compared with rapid movement, healthy people do not co-contract the core muscles 
Instead of a stiff core from which limbs hang, we need to consider the contact surface as the basis for stability and propulsion in movement. Mm -hmm. So then they're saying, anytime you want to move explosively or athletically, don't do this. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it when research makes me laugh. <laughs> you have time for just a couple more? Please, please. It's so, okay. so good. Honestly, I'm uh, so grateful to you that you put all this effort in as well. It's amazing. And then uh, this one's saying here is again, they're saying when you consciously try to change what your brain has figured out, you're going to mess it up. Uh, and this study is called effects of abdominal muscle coactivation on the externally preloaded trunk variations in motor control and its effect on spine stability from the journal spine. Um, and some of your listeners may be familiar with Stuart McGill and some of his uh, very popular work with the spine. Um, and so they were uh, loading people and then quickly unloading them. Uh, and they were measuring EMG stuff and kinematics. And it says, this result shows that in situations in which the trunk is loaded, individuals often find a natural bracing level, which if altered by a bracing technique, can actually decrease the stability of the spine. Yeah. Basically, when yeah. they tried to do something cognitively, they messed it up and were worse. And they had people trying to do uh, co-contractions at 10%, 20%, and 30%, uh, like you mentioned. And they so they specifically found that, again, it, it decreased the spine when they tried to cognitively uh, uh, do this co-contraction. But they said the exception appears to be bracing at very high levels, 30% brace in this study, which seems to activate the full musculature, thereby ensuring an enhanced stability level. It is noteworthy that this high bracing level carries with it the additional penalty of significantly higher compressive loads acting on the spine, which have been linked to low back pain and injury. So number one, they said that 30% is extremely high. Like they're saying it's, it's abnormally high and that it has costs, that it will actually predispose you to low back pain and injury because of the extra compression that it creates on the spine itself. Um, so if you try to think about it, you mess it up. The only way that you can really stiffen up is by creating so much tension that's probably going to create problems uh, elsewhere. Uh, now, uh, this is then talking about abdominal drawing in maneuver. Uh, and this is the acute effects of targeted abdominal muscle activation training on spine stability and neuromuscular control. So one of the other issues with this uh, conscious core engagement is the internal focus of attention more generally. Uh, so when you're looking at motor learning, you will oftentimes find contrast between the focus of attention. What do you want people to think about? And it's divided into an internal focus of attention where they are thinking about their own body and an external focus of attention where they're thinking about stuff outside of them. And most of the motor learning research supports that external focus of attention is a much more efficient motor learning strategy. Uh, and the next quote kind of talks about how, uh, so this one here is saying that with this abdominal drawing in maneuver, uh, it says it does not provide group level benefits in dynamic spine stability. In other words, there is no overall main effect of training on stability. So they're saying it didn't really help and that it actually made people worse. Uh, and it's saying uh, because of the internal focus of attention. So this is previous literature has shown that focusing internally on the activation of a muscle rather than externally on the task at hand can impair neuromuscular coordination and movement outcomes. It has also been shown that focusing externally on the task at hand produces more accurate and consistent movements with less error and a more efficient motor recruitment pattern. Furthermore, performing the abdominal drawing and maneuver during a dynamic movement task may be considered a dual task, 
which has been shown previously to have the ability to impair dynamic postural control, as well as dynamic gait stability measured using maximum finite time, something, some exponents. So the uh, point is, is that overall, thinking about your own body and internally in general is a poor strategy oftentimes in motor learning. And it decreases uh, efficiency, it decreases accuracy, it decreases neuromuscular control. Uh, and then it's saying it also be considered a dual task where it's like you're trying to think about you while you're thinking about what you're supposed to be doing. And the very fact that you are splitting your attention in that way is usually not, uh, does not have a good result. And that's what I was talking about with stability and, and the gait stuff. Um, and now just this last stuff on here is then about how fast this stuff needs to happen and uh, about how adaptable it needs to be. And so this is uh, how fast are feed forward postural adjustments of the abdominal muscles. And it says these adjustments are not only rapid, but are also plastic as they adapt exquisitely to specific demands of perturbations, including changes in load, direction, and speed of the perturbation, which they are to oppose. So they're saying they are awesome at adjusting to context if you let that happen. And, but they are very, very fast. And so it's saying that uh, the results show that feed forward postural adjustments are among the fastest means to activate the abdominal muscles by descending input. These complex patterns of activation, which were discreetly matched with the parameters of armament, so they say they matched what you were supposed to do very well, uh, have latencies. So basically the time it takes to create these things that were slightly longer than the stereotypical acoustic startle reflexes. The acoustic startle reflex is one of the fastest motor responses generated from the brainstem and involves minimal integration of sensory input or motor planning. Thus, our data suggests that feed forward postural adjustments of the abdominal muscles are likely organized at a low level of the nervous system and initiated with limited processing time. So consciously, no, You're, <laughs> that's just not how it works. Um, and then uh, this here is offering some uh, advice for how to train this stuff. And what they are saying, so this is cortical contributions to anticipatory postural adjustments in the trunk. Uh, and it says, so based on their findings, it says the study has implications for informing the design of rehabilitation methods to focus on restoring and improving the timing and strength of anticipatory postural adjustments. Evidence for APA focused rehabilitation has been provided recently where the delayed onsets in, so it's talking about the like transverse abdominus was late to fire. Uh, and it's uh, saying that delayed onsets in activity in a number of postural muscles in older adults were advanced after a single training session of catching a medicine ball. Perturbation. Yeah. yeah. Catch this. And again, their, their brains figured out how do I handle this external load and not fall over? And how do I, how do I decelerate it? And they're saying that they improved just by letting them figure it out on their own. And, and, and that's, that's what I am typically doing for you. I want your systems to be adaptable and efficient for every possible context. And so again, I'm typically just going to let you, I'm going to expose you to a lot of different movements. How relaxed can you be? Can you keep that spinal length? I'm going to perturb you. I'm going to bump you physically with my hands. I'm going to have you uh, pulling on a band. I'm going to have you trying to stabilize against external forces and just figure it out. Uh, you know, and, and like the example of a plank is kind of like that, 
Um, but again, at the same time, it's like, okay, is that really what we want to be working on? Is that valuable to the other things that you want to be doing? Or is that a specific skill that may be more appropriate for some people uh, versus the other? I am making sure that you have the correct movement goal in mind. What are you supposed to be accomplishing? Your brain can't figure out what to do correctly if it doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing. You type in the wrong address to your GPS, it's going to give you wrong directions. You know, uh, and but when you type in that address, it figures out how to get there and then you can make adjustments. You can tell, hey, avoid toll roads. Hey, uh, uh, you know, find the path with least traffic. Like you can adjust that yeah. should you yeah. need to. But most of the time it does a good job at doing it uh, and having you make those unconscious corrections by yourself. Sometimes I am then exaggerating your errors. So it the errors come to mind because I need you to have feedback about if you are doing something wrong. Otherwise, why, again, if you don't know you're doing anything wrong, why would you correct it? So hopefully you're adjusting it on your own because something in your brain is sensing something's not going quite right. But if you're not picking up those errors, I need to exaggerate them and pull on you a little harder, bump you a little harder to show you. And that's not a good way to go because look, now can you feel that not going right? Um, and then we can help, you know, all of those things are coming from brain areas. And if those brain areas are not healthy, then they can't do their job correctly, no matter, you know, and I can train those activities directly. But if we are not successful or if we want faster results, I may need to provide extra stimulation to the brain areas involved, to the neural structures involved, to try to boost the signal, create greater intensity of activation. When you want to make changes in your nervous system, one of the keys to change plasticity is intensity of activation. So then we can look out, okay, how can I create extra activation in that supplementary motor area, in that cerebellar vermis uh, type area? Um, and so then we can look at what else lives there. And there are other strategies that sometimes then seem super outside the box. You're like that seems to have nothing to do with my core stability. Why are you telling me to do that? And then I will have to tell them because uh, it lives right next door. It's in the same brain area. Neurons uh, that wire together, fire together, guys. Yeah, exactly. So like that supplementary motor area, that's things like bilateral complex movements. It helps you take two sides of your body and help you time them together, which is a lot of what you have to do through your trunk, through your pelvic floor, right? An important yeah. part of the core uh, as well. The diaphragm, yeah. bilateral uh, stuff. And so can I have you doing bilateral elbow circles and shoulder figure eights? Uh, I can take two limbs on the same side of you, my left arm, my left leg, and move them in opposite directions. It's called counter phase movements, opposite direction circles, opposite direction uh, uh, figure eights. There's eye stuff, like I mentioned, eye stuff that lives in this area. And uh, you can, uh, if you wanna know more about that stuff, look up uh, saccades, eye jumps, look up memory guided saccades, look up what are called anti saccades uh, as well are great for that area. And then that cerebellar vermis is mapping all of this midline stuff, taking in vestibular information, adjusting your posture, but it's also things like it's sensing carbon dioxide levels. So I'll have people doing air hunger drills where I have them blow out all their air and without any incoming air, have them do exercise to accumulate carbon dioxide, activate that cerebellar vermis there. Again, there's eye stuff that lives there, uh, which include those <laughs> jumps, those odds, um, but also something called optokinetic stimulation. So you can look up opto, O-P-T-O, kinetic, uh, and you'll find apps for it. You'll find YouTube videos showing you stripes that fly by and basically get your eyes to follow, jump, follow, jump, follow, jump, uh, which is like 
uh, induces a sense of self-motion, which again, you can think of, hey, if I'm moving, how that might change and the information is telling you what direction you're moving and that changes your postural stuff. Um, so those are just, you know, maybe some more outside the box stuff besides just, hey, how do I actually chain this, uh, train this stuff directly? Because if those brain areas are not healthy enough to uh, adapt or uh, strengthen from the actual things itself, you may need to provide more indirect stimulations to help push it along. Mike? Yeah. You know how amazing you are. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> You're so amazing. You're honestly such a mind-blowing person. Your knowledge and the amount of effort you've put into this podcast, honestly, it shines through. And I think the thing that speaks the loudest is your level of passion. I mean, I could just sense your frustration. Like you're like, they haven't got it right. <laughs> I feel that too. I think I'm a bit like you. I'm like, why can't people get this? And then um, yeah. I don't, I don't have all the, the amazing chat though that you've got. I've got to listen to this podcast about 20 times maybe to kind of get that into my head so that I can start sounding as educated. Honestly, thank you. This has just been unbelievable. You're welcome. And it's, it's so I, I find all of this stuff, the nervous system, the brain, helping people be better at whatever they want to be better at. I find it super exciting. And mm -hmm. for me, it comes through. Uh, a lot of things that I've experienced and being told like, hey, that's just the way you are. That's just how oh, be. No. And then finally finding answers for how I can change most anything because it lives in the brain, because it lives in the nervous system. And because the brain, and the nervous system are plastic, that there is so much hope and so much mm. potential and promise for people that they don't even know about. And so uh, I get very excited learning about it. And as you could tell, very excited talking about it. Oh, uh, and, I'm you know, going to have you on the show loads of times, time. by the way. I talk about this stuff all day. Um, you're coming back again and again. You're going to have nothing else to do. <laughs> the, the main thing that I want uh, people to know, again, is just that there's a bigger picture and you just want to make sure that you have as complete an understanding as you can. You know, I know that's going to build over time, but just so you have as many options as you need to help as many possible, uh, as many people as you can. Because uh, if you have a limited set of tools, you will be able to help a limited set of people. So I just want people to know that there is a, a bigger picture, more complete picture, and more tools that you have available that may help those folks uh, that you weren't able to help to be able to help the folks that you are helping maybe get results faster that last longer uh, with less work uh, as well. Uh, and that it's okay if you just take this piecemeal. You know, I know I mentioned a lot of things and it's okay. You don't have to do all of those things at the same time. You don't have to have a thousand browser tabs open looking up all the things that I mentioned. Start small and just look up yeah, one thing at a time. Health, guys. Just start with time. essentials. Yeah. Just go and do essentials at least. Yes. Well, it on the Z-Health performance. Z-Health performance solutions and we teach classes. So come take Oh, guys, <laughs> the classes are so good. It kills me every time I watch another one. I'm, and I've gone back to essentials now because it's mm -hmm. so good. Like I've gone back and I've started to go again through everything because I'm just like, this is so freaking good every time. Mike, a question I asked everyone to close the show is, yeah. if you had a message for the world, what would your message be? Uh, keep the hope. You're, you're, you're not done yet. There's always time for you to be better. Uh, your brain and nervous system are plastic all throughout your life. Uh, and everything in your brain, everything's a skill, everything is trainable. It's just about finding where it lives and figuring out how to talk to it. 
Oh, thank you so much, Mike. You're such a special person. And then just finally, where can people find out more about AUBZ Health? Yeah, uh, so you can go to zhealtheducation.com. Uh, so Z H. So uh, our company name has a hyphen in there, but there's no hyphen. <laughs> in there. Uh, so zhealtheducation.com uh, is the best place to go. We have a blog. Uh, we have free uh, eBooks. We have a free kind of uh, sampling introductory course. Uh, and then we have a very, very low cost. Uh, so uh, Celeste mentioned the essentials of lead performance, which is typically like a three-day course, but very, very low cost to introduce you to a lot of different parts of our curriculum. Uh, if you're not quite sure, okay, should I take these other classes or not? We have lots of things for you to dip your feet in and see if this is the right water for you. And I think everyone on this planet should be doing Z Health in my humble opinion. I just think <laughs> it's the best stuff out there. And honestly, you know, Mike, thank you not just for the effort and the time and the dedication you've put into this podcast, but it's very apparent when we're watching things like Essentials, I know you present that. Um, it's just such a joy to watch you present. And um, I know I've become a better presenter by watching you go through that curriculum. Um, so thank you. And I'm sure on behalf of all the listeners, we can't wait to have you back on Love at First Science. Great. Thank you very, very much for, for inviting me. I hope it was helpful. Thank you for listening and your continued support. If you feel that any of the topics that were shared today resonates with you, or perhaps you just feel that someone listening could benefit from this information, please do share it. Also remember that you can support the podcast by leaving a review. That's all for now. I'd like to wish you love at First Science.